At the root, there are really two embittered worldviews that are engaged in a struggle. On the one hand, secular liberalism, and the, on the other, uh, religious conservatism. I'm sure everyone here is familiar with the Supreme Court's misguided decision earlier this year, allowing the 40-foot towering Bladensburg Cross to remain on public land in Maryland. Uh, I think that if you are going to believe in God and talk about it as being the same thing as believing in your wife, then you need to provide the, the same kind of evidence. And it isn't the religion that gets the criticism, it's just the bigotry. It, the main subject is an attack because that's taboo. And we're also a religious success story. We have gone forth and multiplied. But now we have to stop or it will be our downfall. In March 2001, he killed a man and ate him, along with a glass of fine red wine. A crime so bizarre, it horrified and mystified the world. I tried debating with you people, but you're saying, oh, God did it, he's this magical man. He doesn't exist. He's about as real. He's even less real than Mickey Mouse. <laughs> the Bible is no more proof than God exists, than a comic book is no more proof than Superman exists. Okay. For anybody in this room who calls yourself a Christian, if you think you have scientific evidence to indicate you're God, bring it. You ain't got it. I win. Paul wrote in the Bible, God is not the author of confusion. But can you think of a single book that's caused more confusion than that Bible? Here, we discuss real issues of life from a biblical worldview. Welcome to Worldview Clash Class. Uh, no, I was not aware of that. Yeah. And are you aware? Of, I'm going to ask you something. Um, so if they're about eating the rich, why do you think so many of the 1% support socialism? Is that true? It's very true. Like who? Well, for example, you know Venezuela, right? The nation's failed economy is expected to hit 10 million percent inflation this year. When business owners raised prices to keep up with inflation, government often took away their businesses. Venezuelans are dying in huge amounts. A majority of the country is currently eating rats while their politicians are drinking champagne on a daily basis. But that's not the 1%. The 1% of Venezuela. I'm talking about America. But I just want people to have health care, honey. I don't want, like... Well, <laughs> the question is why you support socialism. You can have, you can have health care without socialism. I want people to have free health care. Why free? Pays for. Why would the government pay for it? Because I think everyone has a right to have health care. If the church, if individuals and the church are supposed to take care of people, and now the government is is doing what the church is designed to do or called to do, is the reason the government is doing it because they took it over, or is the reason the government is doing it because the church gave it over? Is there a point in history where we stopped doing our job and we gave that to the government? Right, so it's the FDR and all the New Deal programs and Lyndon Johnson's Great Society Welfare State. Mm. So uh, originally, I wrote a whole book on the history of income tax. Uh, originally, um, uh, there was a tax-exempt status for churches. Why? Two reasons. Uh, the, 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 did you know the biggest item on uh, most state budgets is welfare? And you know the biggest group on welfare are broken homes? Mm. And homes without fathers 
And so there is a financial burden that is born because families are broken up mm. and there's more crime. So you have to hire more policemen and property values go down when there's more crime. And then you have to hire more firemen to put out the fires. When the, In other words, there's a great expense that comes now. So when the church was a bigger part of society, it taught husbands how to love your wives. It taught the wives and the children. It taught, it taught how families can stay together. And um, so that was one benefit. The second one is the church, again, took care of the poor and started the orphanages and the medical clinics. And most of the hospitals were started by Christian denominations. And the, the churches started schools. The churches took care of the immigrant kids. The church did all of the social programs. Mm. And um, anyway, so yes. So in the 1930s with the Great Depression and then FDR and Lyndon Johnson, they began to institute government doing social programs. Mm. And at first, um, Churches were like, oh, great. Well, this is one less thing for me to worry about. Uh, but what happens is it dried up a great opportunity to witness because most people in uh, the Lord even points this out. Uh, when you're uh, self-sufficient, you get prideful and you're not really open to wanting to hear about the Lord. Uh, when you come upon rough times, uh, you need help uh, and you you call out for help, and when if you have a Christian brother or sister that's there to help, you're open to hearing what they have to say. What motivates you to help me in my time of need? Tell me mm. what's motivated. Well, let me tell you, it's, it's Jesus, you know. Mm. And uh, anyway, so um, so I wanted to throw that out. The Bible teaches private property. When they come into the promised land, they God has the the land divided up and given as private property to each family. Mm. If you own property, you can give some of the property, and that's called being charitable. Mm. If the government, uh, Karl Marx says, communism can be summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. Mm. If the government takes away all your property, you don't have anything to give to anybody else. It dries up charity. And, um, you know, in the wilderness, Moses said, anyone whose heart is moved, bring stuff to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so you had ladies bringing cloth and people bringing jewels and, and bringing all this kind of stuff to Aaron. And he you know, was all fashioned into the tabernacle in the wilderness. But it says specifically, those whose hearts were willing. And then when they had enough stuff, they said, okay, okay, we got enough. Same thing. When David is gathering stuff together to pile up so that his son Jonathan can build the temple later. David gets all the Israeli leaders and he says, I'm going to give 3,000 talents of gold. How about you guys? Mm -hmm. And it says, those whose hearts were moved upon gave 5,000 talents. And David said, Lord, all of what we have is yours. We're just giving back to you what you gave to us. So all, all possessions are is an opportunity for you to manifest what's in your your heart mm. it's a visible manifestation of what's in your heart if you have a charitable heart you will express that by giving away stuff mm. right and um and then again when they come back from babylon and they're rebuilding the temple and uh again it says that those whose hearts were moved upon by the lord willingly gave mm. so god wants to build his work through people giving willingly, 
not through some government forcibly taking away your stuff and redistributing to people who are ungrateful. Mm. Right? I mean, because if you're getting stuff, you, be, you look at it as a debt owed to you, not as something that you're thankful and grateful for. Mm. And uh, so I wanted to throw that in about private property. No, that's uh, that's interesting because uh, there are many examples throughout the New Testament that um, people that are um, proponents of socialism will say, um, "We'll see the Bible teaches socialism," and like uh, you know, Ananias even selling his property and going and giving. And Peter answers that right there. He says, "When when it's yours." Was it not yours to do what you wanted with? You know, he comes and he lies. He gives out of compulsion and not out of his heart. And, um, you know, that does not end well for him, obviously, as, as we remember. But um, looking through the biblical text, we see all kinds of examples that all kinds of leaders today are giving us. But why is it that we have people now, political leaders, that want to take the Bible and use this to promote socialism? Um, well, uh Two points I'd like to bring out about that. Number one, parable of the talents. Uh, Jesus says, okay, there's this king. He gives one talent to one guy and two talents and five talents. And he comes back and the five talent guy multiplied it into 10. And the uh, the two talent guy multiplied it. And then the one person buried it. And Jesus said, take the talent from the one guy and give it to the guy who has Oh no, no, that's that's wrong, Bill. It's, they, didn't they take it from the rich and give it to the poor? Wasn't there a Robin Hood scheme there? <laughs> and um, and the uh, the people said, "Well, well, Lord, He already has ten. In, in other words, God blesses the people that are diligent, that work hard, and God takes it away from those that don't." Another, you could call him one of the founding fathers of socialism. Judas. Mm. Here's Judas when the woman breaks the flask of perfume over Jesus's head. <laughs> Judas claims to be more Christian than Christ. Mm. He says, well, that could have been given to the poor. In other words, Jesus, I care more about the poor than you do. You, Jesus, you should have stopped him and not let him break that. And you should... I mean, right, yeah, Judas really cares more about the poor than Jesus does. Right. So Judas was a socialist. Yeah, we should take away from other people and give it to the poor. Well, no, he had the money back. Why is that? Because whoever is in the position of dispensing money, there is a saying, whoever controls the purse strings has the power. Mm. And so whenever you have a government program and the government program is dispensing stuff, Whoever is in the position of doing the dispensing has power. Mm. And they can choose who to dispense it to and who not. And so even though they don't own the money, they are gaining power by being in control of who gets the money and the benefits. Mm. So and, um, clearly, at least just from what we've discussed so far, and I, I encourage everyone to read into the Bible and read these passages in context, but clearly... The Bible does not promote socialism, right, Bill? Uh, absolutely not. Now, the second part is um, the uh, the 1930s. Uh, so you had, you know, Stalin was the, uh, excuse me, Lenin was the, the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. Mm-hmm. And then 1922 and 23 and 24, then Lenin dies. Then Stalin takes over in the 1930s and 40s and through the 50s. And... Um, 
This is when a change happened in Russia. Instead of communism just running Russia, there was the decision to export communism worldwide. Mm. And so they began to send their KGB agents into other countries. And so it's interesting, there was a black man named Manning Johnson. He became a communist. He ran for Congress in New York as a Communist Party member candidate. And then he came to the realization that the communists really did not want to help the black community. They were just using them to bring division into the country. I'll talk about the importance of division when you in, in the process of instituting socialism. And, uh, and he said that, and then he began to reveal these socialist tactics. And Manning Johnson actually gave testimony before the US Congress and he wrote a book and Archibald Roosevelt, the grandson of Teddy Ro or the son of Teddy Roosevelt, wrote the foreword to the book. Oh so Manning Johnson is a credible person. And so he said when the communists would first come into a country, they would do what they did in Russia. They would say the Bible's wrong, the Bible's false, the Bible's right, because in Russia they did that. They just you know made them stamp on the Bible and spit on the Bible and they just said it's all lies. Well, he said they tried coming into America. And they couldn't do that. He said they tried coming into the black community and they wouldn't accept that the Bible's a bunch of lies because they believed in the Bible too much. He says what they did is they changed Jesus into a social justice activist. In other words, he's a carpenter, so he's a working class man. And the Romans are the capitalists and uh, they're seizing this power. And Jesus made a whip and cleansed the temple, so he was involved in riots. And so they turned Jesus into a Palestinian activist. Mm. And they abandoned the gospel that we're all sinners destined for hell, and God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay for all of our sins so that we can go to heaven. They totally abandoned that, and they just teach this social justice message, which is a heaven on earth mm. without God message. That's what socialism is. It's wanting to establish a perfect society on earth and forget heaven. Wow. And uh, so it's interesting. In 1960s, uh, there was a congressman in Florida named Albert Herlong, and he read the 45 goals or tactics that the communists would use to take over America. And they would infiltrate the media, they'd infiltrate education, they'd get control of student unions and student newspapers, they'd get control of both political parties, and then it says to infiltrate the churches and to replace revealed religion, the gospel, with social justice. Mm. This is the 1960s saying that this is how the socialism will infiltrate. Did you know that the first homosexual organization in America was founded by communists, I didn't know. the Madison Society. And so the idea was World War II, America wins a two front war. And the communists realized they cannot defeat America on the inside. So their goal is to take a long process to rot the country from the inside. It's sort of like, if I tell you, ask you to push over a tree, right? Take a running start and ram into this tree and knock it over. Uh, you couldn't do it. But if you can rot the tree from the inside, 
and have termites and have all kinds of bugs and have water rot and everything. And then I tell you, run into that tree and knock it over. You can knock it over. That's what has happened. So after World War II, the socialists and communists says, let's do a moral rot inside of the country. Uh, you read these 1960 uh, goals. It says present homosexuality as normal and and uh, you know present destroy the nuclear family. Mm. Uh, it's interesting. Black Lives Matter has as one of their goals: destroy the nuclear family. Yeah. And um, matter of fact, the Black Lives Matter was founded by three transgendered activists: wow. Opal Teddy, uh, Patrice Cullors, and elect, um, uh, Alicia Garza. And they admit to being trained Marxists. And you know who trained them? Um, Eric Mann. He was one of the founders of the Weather Underground. Um, for those not familiar, the 1970s, there was this radical group called the Weather Underground, and they would make nail bombs and blow them up and kill police officers. And uh, one of these people was named Bill Ayers. And his dad was the president of Edison Electric, so he was a spoiled kid. And then he becomes a professor at the University of Chicago, and then he gets involved in politics, and he hosted a fundraiser for a young man running for Senate in Illinois named Barack Obama. So Bill Ayers, Weather Underground, hosted a fundraiser for Barack Obama, and Another founder of the Weather Underground is Eric Mann, and he trained Patrice Cullors. And she was on a, a YouTube video sort of like this in 2015. It says, we're trained Marxists. We're trained in all the ideology and so forth. And then Opal Tometi went down to Venezuela and endorsed Maduro. And so what we see, if, if anyone goes to the Black Lives Matter website, they see their, um, they use the words that they're transgendered. They're queer affirming. Mm. That's their words. Now, what's queer affirming? That means you have to affirm them, that silence is violence. You have to actively say that you support them. If not, you're hateful. Then it says they want to disrupt the nuclear family. What's that? That's dad, mom, kid. Mm. Uh, they want to have the children raised in villages of these transgendered individuals. And they want to erase heteronormative thinking. Mm. What's that? That's even thinking that there's a male and a female. This is an extremely radical agenda pushed under the banner of Black Lives Matter. Now, the tactic they're using, and I'm sort of jumping around, but uh, the tactic they're using is called seizing the moral high ground. Mm. It's a political term. Uh, I ran for Congress three times, and so I'm sort of versed in those things. <laughs> casinos do this. If a casino wants to move into an area, opponents will cite st statistics of crime going up, prostitution, drugs, sex trafficking. But if the casino can give some money to schools, they can seize the moral high ground and say, we care more about the children than you do. We're up and we're wanting to push a really good issue with helping little children. And if you don't vote for casinos, you must hate the children. And so Black Lives Matter says, we're against racism. Well, that's a good thing. Everybody's against racism, unless you're a total off the wall person, but Jesus, uh, the gospel, you know, red, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in his sight. Uh, the prophet um, Samuel is standing before Jesse and looking at his sons and says, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. 
And so the Bible's against racism. So they, they take an issue that's good and say, we want to end racism, but they bring along all this baggage of an extremely radical sexual agenda and they're trained Marxists. What does that mean? That means they want to help rot the country from the inside so that they can bring about a political change and get rid of our form of government. Socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. Is this the internal rot that you're talking about with the tree? Right, and it's really no different than what happened in ancient Israel. Mm. So uh, ancient Israel comes into the promised land, for 400 years, they do not have a king. They're ruled by the people. And they elect their elders of their little villages and towns and so forth. And Israel's model is based on every single person being taught the law. Mm. It's like um, everybody has an iPhone uh, or a, you know whatever type of phone, but you have a GPS on it. Mm-hmm. And the GPS tells you where to turn left 50 yards ahead. Imagine if you could download a behavioral app that could tell you how to act in real time. Don't lose your temper at that person. Don't steal that, right? And so if you think of it, in ancient Israel, everyone had the behavioral app of the law. And the Levites were the computer geeks that help you to download the app. You know, like old person, now how do you download this? Okay, go to Google Play and Apple Store, you press this button, your line upon line, precept upon precept. And so everybody downloads their own copy of the law. Mm. Now, the big question is, why would you follow it? What would motivate you to follow an internal moral? Mm. Well, ancient Israel introduced the key ingredient. There is a God who is watching everyone. Mm. He wants you to be fair, and he's going to hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. You know, you can get away with it. And then you think, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable in the future. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. Mm. And so it creates something in your head called a conscience. Mm. If everybody in the country believes this, you can maintain complete order with no police. Mm. You want to defund the police? Fine. You need to replace it with more internal morals, like a teeter-totter. Less external restraints, more internal restraints. Mm. You're going to get rid of the police. You need to have more teaching of morals and value and what motivates you to follow morals and values. You're, you're accountable to God. This was ancient Israel's model. This is what uh, the founders of America. Yeah, that's why we say it's one nation under God. It's more than just a nice little acknowledgement. <laughs> it's the awareness of God and your accountability to him that motivates you to be nice to everybody and not steal and not be lawless. Because you realize that you're accountable to him. If you get rid of this God, you just got a bunch of rules that some old men made up. Mm. And that's what happened with ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, the priests stopped teaching the law. Mm. And the high priest Eli, his own sons, were sleeping with women in the very tent of meeting. And another Levite with a silver graven image, and another Levite with a concubine in a house surrounded by sodomites, and they bang and poor girls raped and dies. And you read the sign, every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Mm. Why? Because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. So in America, our founders said, no, let's teach everybody God's law and you're accountable to him. And then we can get by with less external law and we can be free. But if you get rid of God, get rid of internal morals, it's going to be chaos. 
So democracy without morals and virtue ends in chaos. And what happens in chaos? People begin to say, we need somebody to come along and fix this mess. And that's when some governor comes along and says, I can fix it. I just need some emergency powers. And they end up becoming a tyrant. Clash, clash.